Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And I'm Tony. We're Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 131, recorded on September 11th, 2020. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Podcatting platforms. Podcatting platforms. That would be, hmm, I think we have found a new technical niche. Considering <laughs> the, the amount of cat videos, a podcatting platform would probably be a good hit. Okay, people, you heard it here first. Anyways, today's headlines are going to be that we have a, a very cool automated always-on availability groups deployment on VMs. That's going to be in preview. We have new NVIDIA 3000 series GPUs coming out. Xbox, SX, and S. It's it's hard with, with characters. No, for, for once it's making sense. Small, extra small, and X. Total sense. So we, we just need an Xbox One XL. <laughs> and we have AMD Zen 3 or the Navi platform coming out. And we are going to be talking about teaching materials or teaching somebody else's materials, some interesting news from Formula One, and what are our expectations on Ignite. So let's dive straight into it, shall we? Yeah, shall we start with the only real enterprise Microsoft news we have today? And that would be? Always on availability groups. That's probably the only enterprise thing we have. Yeah, and, and I was on track to do that right before you decided to butt in and mess up my timing. <laughs> so I may I continue? I will shut up for exactly five seconds. Oh, that's a first. Anyways, there is a public preview of automatic deployment of always-on availability groups through the Azure portal. So a slight bit of background. I just finished up teaching DP300 or the Relational Databases in Azure course. And part of the syllabus is looking at virtual machines, SQL Server on virtual machines. And there is every opportunity and, and every possibility to set up always on availability groups, the, the um, database-based failover system, if you will, using um, virtual machines. But it is... I wouldn't say that it's difficult on-prem, but it's a bit messy, and it's even messier in Azure. And now there is an automated way to deploy the always-on availability groups in SQL Server on Azure on, on Azure Virtual Machines. So that's just come out in public preview. That came out on September the 2nd. I personally haven't had time to play with it yet, but I am really interested in trying to mess it up because I, I have a lot of ideas where this might break. Um, so that's going to be on my uh, my schedule going forward, messing things up. So, so a couple of questions there. <laughs> that is always on your schedule. True, true. So is the news item that it's automated because you have been able to set it up manually up until now as well? Yes. But I assume since it's now automated that some people were messing it up and therefore Microsoft saw the need of 
enabling you to do it automatically or is it any or are there any other reasons for it i would argue that that is partly the case because setting up always on availability groups means that you need to set up a windows cluster yeah and we've been around the block for a few times and we we've seen the evolution of windows clusters from um a nail biter to a horrible piece of software to something fairly useful and to to where we are today where it's it's pretty pretty darn amazing but as a dba this is not your your wheelhouse you are not used to toying with that part of the operating system so i'm guessing that it is a way to streamline um setup for people who are primarily database people and not specifically infrastructure architects or specialists on the cluster side and i'm sure that you're as usual hitting the the nail on the head with there are a lot of ways to screw up a cluster yeah uh, it's 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 harder these days than it used to be but given enough opportunity anybody can really screw things up and that makes it a lot more tricky to work with so yeah i think that's it yeah good so I have been thinking about buying a new main computer for quite a while. Should I specify that with an NVIDIA 3000 series card? I I would actually amend that with should you wait for the 3000 series, which is just came out, and should you wait for the Zen 3 platform, the AMD Zen 3 platform? I think we can bunch those together. Yeah, since I have no answers and just questions, please feel free to educate me. I, I think Tony is the hardware guy here. And I've I've done some research on the NVIDIA stuff and I've kind of just poked my my finger into the AMD pot. But Tony, what's what's your view on this? Well, the NVIDIA 3000 series pretty much surprised everyone because of the price performance ratio. So uh, a $500 card uh, is assumed to be performed better than a 1200 card 1200 card uh, so i feel sad for those who bought the 2080 ti uh, in the recent months because Hi. they will be getting <laughs> so they will be getting pretty much uh, equal to better performance with a 500 card which is the 3070 so that those are the rumors, at least. There are no performance benchmarks available yet. So I'm guessing it's an NDA thing still. Uh, but there have been, uh, you know, videos showing showing the cards at least, and they are having like discussions on what it looks like, the design, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I yeah, the pricing is out as well. Uh, so there's three cards uh, published this far, which is the 3070, 3080, and 3090. Uh, the 90 being a Titan card replacement, pretty much. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think the 3080 is the most promising one from my standpoint, at least for, you know, uh, cost uh, performance figures th that aren't really available yet. But we'll see. Uh, could, could I butt in with a question there? Uh, because everything that I've I've read says that the 3070 is the sweet spot. And I, I'm running a 2080. TI, which was hilariously expensive. And and having this coming out and really doing laps around my card for a fraction of the price, well, thank you. 
But again, the, the 3070 seems, according to what I've read, to be the sweet spot. You're, you're thinking 3080. Could you elaborate on that? Uh, well, reading the specs for each card, I, I thought that that seemed the most interesting one for me, at least. I mean, sure, it's an expensive card, but still you get a, a huge, ludicrous amount of performance. So if I were to upgrade, I might probably go for that one, if it were an NVIDIA I was upgrading to. Uh, but I am, like you said, I'm very, very interested in seeing the big Navi numbers uh, from AMD. And they have actually announced, uh, I think, was it even today? Earlier today? No, yesterday, sorry. Um, they are coming out with their new CPUs and GPUs. Um, so the announcements will be October 8th for the Zen, Zen 3 platform, that being the Ryzen 4000 series. And then we have the RDNA 2 uh, release on 28th of October. So. If I was in the market for a new GPU right now, I would probably like to wait until uh, AMD has made their announcements, at least, before just running out and buying an NVIDIA card. Because we don't know the actual performance numbers of the NVIDIA cards as of now, and we don't know pretty much anything about the big Navi cards, uh, being the RDNA 2 architecture. And yep. I think pretty much the reason that NVIDIA rushed out the gate with the, their announcement uh, might have more to do actually with the consoles than it does with uh, AMD. I'm not sure, but that was my initial thought at least, that they, they would like to preempt the consoles coming out uh, just to keep people away from buying those. Yeah, and the, the consoles that are coming out, the Xbox S and the Xbox SX, they are surprisingly cheap for the insane amount of power you manage to stuff into such a small box. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there is the Xbox Series S, which is $300, and then there is the bigger one, uh, the Xbox Series X. So S and SX, uh, $500 for the bigger one. Uh, and let's see, release date, November 10th. So today? November. November, November. yeah, but that's... Time zones, you know. <laughs> oh, there's not that many time zones. <laughs> so if there is any listener who would like to replace Simon, give us a call. <laughs> because this one is broken. Please email us at uh, the now working email address. <laughs> yeah, so those were pretty much the uh, hardware news for this time. So NVIDIA 3000 series, Xbox consoles coming out new versions with dates and prices, and the AMD platform, uh, which will be getting um, up, uh, published in uh, October. We we don't have any prices for the uh, Navi stuff yet, right? No, we, we don't have any specs either. Oh, okay. So they are keeping their cards very close to their chest. The only thing missing here uh, would, would be the Sony, right? The PlayStation. No one so cares I, about that. Yeah, I actually saw a meme about that today. You know, PC people were like, yeah, and all the console Xbox kids were like, yes, uh, finally. And then there was like a stick figure just poking at the PlayStation logo saying, do something. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And I'm, I'm kind of impressed by the timing. I mean, being able to bring out the, the Xbox stuff in November right in time for the Christmas. And then... I'm super curious to see the the uh, the sales numbers for Christmas 
in general and Christmas 2020, considering we've had the, the entire pandemic. I'm thinking that it's going to be a pent-up need for high-end gaming stuff. So we'll see. So can I add two things to that? First, do you think so? I think that even though there are new Xboxes and new consoles coming out, don't you think that most people already have upgraded their gaming rigs, done all that since they have been staying home? And this is me guessing. And I have a hunch that says no. The people who had decent spec stuff going in probably still have. The people who had crap going in might have, yes. But I'm thinking that the decent spec people are looking at an upgrade, and especially with these this this price tag. This is within grasp, despite the world economy having tanked. Yeah, and I believe that the strategy that Microsoft is taking with the Xbox All Access, which is, behold, actually coming to Sweden, oh, uh, will be a huge game changer since it's 200 so 25 dollars per month for the console uh and games oh so the the games pass is a game changer really i'll pass to comment yeah it's it's funny you should say that because this is a fairly good segue no it isn't it's a crap segue but anyways so I just finished teaching DP 300 and I wasn't that impressed with the materials last week. And let me, let me amend that a bit. The student handbook is phenomenal. It's, it's really good. The teacher handbook, which is the same thing as the the trainer handbook is also really good. The slide deck is without comparison, the worst piece of crap I have ever seen out of Microsoft learning. And I I stand by that a hundred percent. That was it, it's it's really useless. In many many cases, I didn't even see any correlation between the slide deck and the training material, and it was so bad that I went on to the MCT forums, and I very quickly found one thread that said DP three hundred teacher slides. Is this a joke? Whoa. So people are slamming the material. And after my comment on the, the forums, uh, one of the, the people from uh, Microsoft Learn, I'm not going to name any names, said, yes, we are aware of this. We are sitting down with the content team and we are going to create a new set of slides sooner rather than than later. So that says something about the, the sheer shittiness of, of the slides. <laughs> Shittiness? <laughs> is, that a, is that a word? Now it is. And in hindsight, you actually did a very good segue there. Since we did a crappy segue into some other crap. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for trying. But this brings up what I really wanted to talk about. I've had conversations with other speakers previously who have decided not to go the MCT or Microsoft Certified Trainer route because they are... Uh, they need to teach someone else's material. And what's your view? Because you're both one active and one presently inactive sort of a trainer. You've both been on stage. You've both presented. What's your view on presenting other people's materials, be it training material or session material? Well, I haven't actually 
done any other people's material as far as I can recall, remember? Uh, I've mostly done my own own stuff, demos and things like that. And I, I'm usually, or used to be, pretty heavy on the demo material side as well. So rather showing in practice than only preach theory. True. And since you've done the material yourself, you know what works and what doesn't. Yep. True. Simon, what's your view? I, f- I find it kind of hard. I, I think it depends a lot on... So I've done a couple of different things. When it comes to presenting material, if you're given a slide deck and then the people who gave you the slide deck says, yeah, this is what you're going to present, but make it your own. You need to present these slides, but make it your own. That's harder than being given a slide deck and said, present it this way. So I have done both. I have been giving like, this is how you should present it. Watch this video and then redo it on stage. That is easier than being given a slide deck and then hold in this and improvise. For training, I think it, like, I've seen so many people now getting the MCT title, like more people than ever before are becoming MCTs, and we can probably talk about that in another episode. But I think it also more and more points towards where it's going, that you should have, like you said, a good handbook, but then it's up to the trainer to make the course interesting, to fill it with something to present. And I don't think And I think there are two very distinctive groups now. One group that will keep using the content they are given and probably will be good at like passing students along just delivering the content. And then we'll have people like ourselves, which took the mock content, presented it based on the agenda, the, the content, but did a lot of things off script. And mock in this case meaning Microsoft official curriculum. Yes. So I haven't found it to be a problem, but I've been really bad at using the slides if I haven't been forced to do so. And I I I would agree. Yes, you you definitely need to add your own to the slide deck, but there is one there's a difference between being given a dumpster fire and something useful. And in this case, I would have more used with no slides at all. Because not only were the slides poor, they were also incorrect in some ways. Yeah, and, and that's never acceptable. Because then then you can't show it at all, because that will only mess up the learning experience. Yep, yep, indeed. So... I know that you're both super Formula One fans. There, there are two very skeptical faces looking back on me. Yeah, but, well, at least I, I used to be. Oh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm sure you like it when when Kimi Räikkönen actually had had a proper team. Yeah, absolutely. But I also uh, like it when he has an interview of some sort. <laughs> Those are usually very entertaining. They are yes. very Finnish interviews. So, so Ki- Kimi, what happened in the the second corner? I had a crash. Maybe you saw it. <laughs> that, that's Kimi Reikonen. Anyways, so Sebastian Vettel, 
who is driving for Ferrari, Scuderia Ferrari. He was pretty much let go by Ferrari uh, at the start of this season. Ferrari didn't even enter into contract negotiations. So people have been wondering for the entire season, where is Sebastian going? I mean, he, he's a four-time world championship, world, world championship, a four-time world champion. And it's been talked about, is he going to Renault? Is he going to Racing Point? Is he going to Aston Martin? Is he going to, where is he going? And today it was announced that he is taking Sergio Perez's slot at Racing Point, which is being rebranded next year to Aston Martin. So that was pretty, pretty unexpected considering that Sergio Perez, he had a contract to, I think it was 2022, but Racing Point decided to boot him anyway. So it's going to be an interesting season next season. Yeah. Sounds like Aston Martin pulled a winner here. They might have, they, they might have, and it depends on where they're going to be next uh, season. And Williams, the, the, um, family owned team, they just sold the team. And there is no longer a Williams running the team. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a silly season right now. It's super interesting. And, and I, I'm wondering if there will be any Netflix series this year, because yes. it would be interesting to see, like, this is what I'm, what I love about that series. That's why I now becoming more interested in Formula One than I've been before, because now it, you don't have to have like, 10 years of being slightly interested in Formula One to understand the psychology and all of that. Now you need to watch, and I'm really sorry for all the real fans out there, two Netflix series which are really entertaining. And you get straight into all the messes that are Formula One and which you come to really love. I, I agree entirely. It was 100% due to watching Drive to Survive that I found my love for, for Formula One. So that is good. And I've, I've been watching the races and post-race when the, the Martin Brundle and the people from Sky One are walking around, they tend to bump into the people um, recording the Drive to Survive Season 3. So that is very much happening. Uh, ju- just a quick little question. Uh, do you guys know where it would be possible to live stream the races? Yes. Nowhere. Oh, okay. Then, then I haven't <laughs> just missed out on finding nope. it. I, I think there is a way to live stream if you buy the fifty euro per month huge sports packages here in Sweden. But just getting one race, nope, you are out of luck. Hmm. Which sucks. There, there are other ways, but I'm not going to be talking about those. And that brings us to the seventh news item ignite is just around the corner which is very very evident with the relative um, lack of news if you will it is it is apparent that they're really holding the the cards to their chest and and going to show interesting stuff at, at ignite so what are your expectations for ignite what do you what do you hope to see Ooh, that's a very very good question um Windows Server 2021? Maybe. 
Oh, uh, oh, if you ask what I'm hoping to see, yes, is the answer then. But I'm not sure I'm expecting it. Um, plenty of Azure news. That's a pretty, pretty guaranteed one, I suppose. So that is always interesting to see what they're pulling out of their hat right now. Or the cloud. Pulling out of the cloud. Oh, I think we have the name <laughs> of the episode. Pulling out of the cloud. <laughs> and and oh. probably pulling out of the dot, dot, dot cloud. Oh. Stop it. Uh, in all fairness, I, I do believe that we possibly will see Server 2021. I think it's on the Azure release cadence now, so it should really be a bit later. But is that really something to announce? Sorry, Tony, but isn't that the entire thing with the operating systems now that there aren't any big announcements? Look at Windows. Nothing new. So I'm expecting... I I would say that I'm more expecting integrations than anything else. I want to understand more and see more about how Microsoft is now enabling integrations with their partners. Um, because that's that's where I see the real the real cool things happening. Microsoft will be ha- having a lot of amazing things coming out for sure from all the product groups, but it, it's starting to to stay relevant. I think Microsoft needs to take that integration spot as well. I think we have had that discussion previously, like with ServiceNow and such, that they will be the new Microsoft, the new Amazon in, in a couple of years, because everything will be integrations. And I think Microsoft needs to show that they care about their partners and how they enable them to integrate with the services they have. Yeah, I I definitely agree on the integration side of things. Uh, that is, some, it, it is at the same time very, very difficult to be good at integration because it's so broad. Yeah. But at the same time, it is so vital. But then again, we've, we've seen tons of projects where integration really wasn't a thing, and that's when you get the silos. Nobody likes those. Yeah. So so could I... And this this may be a stupid subject to, to end with, but I think we'll see a lot of success stories with, like, what did we do during COVID? And what have we learned from that? But how much value will that bring to organizations moving forward? I would think it would be, depending on how you choose to interpret it, I would say that it can bring tremendous value. Because we've all been in the same darn boat since the world ended in March. Everybody is facing some variation of the same issues when you get down to the dirty of it. And having examples, having or seeing people who've persevered, seeing uh, solutions to problems you might not even know you had, I think it has a huge psychological impact, a potential psychological impact. If you if you mix that with new cool stuff coming out, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you can combine the two by showing this is coming out and this is what our beta customers did. So I I think that could be a very good thing. But more from a s- psychological perspective than actually technical perspective. 
Is that what you're saying? Those those are the two ways you can look at it. And we are at some point leaving what we have been in inside of for 10 months now. Are are a lot of those so a lot of those things are still valid if organizations are prepared to embrace that even in the post-COVID world. And I think that is the kicker right there, even in the post-COVID world. Will people refrain from going back to the old ways? Or will they really... Because you can you can view COVID from, from two angles, or probably more, but two main angles. Either you can go, it was better when... It was better in, in February and just put your ass down and go, I don't like this. Or you can embrace the fact that the world changed. And it is up to you to choose. And then take it from there. Yeah, and, and I've said so in so many, like in interviews, in talks, in, in actual customer discussions and all of that. I have very little hope for humanity. I do think that so many organizations will be moving back to the old ways, regardless of what many of them are saying now. I think that this change, if they don't have that blowtorch put under them, will stop. And they will be moving back to where they were because they can't find the energy or the funding or the inspiration to keep doing good things. Well, change is easy, said no one ever. Yeah. And I am going to go ahead and agree with you in the short term. I I definitely think we're going to see a rebound. But I also think that the the pendulum will, will turn to the other side again. So, yes, there will be changes, but the question is how many and and where? And on that gloomy bombshell. (laughs) It is indeed time to end the show. Thank you for listening to Knee Deep in Tech. And if you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or or via via the email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com, which actually works now. Thank you, Simon. We will be back next week. And meanwhile, take care. Bye. Bye. Ciao.